not here last week. Um, that video was actually shot in, um, in the gym where I started doing CrossFit a while ago. I was not the fittest person on earth. And then when my daughter was born, I'm like, she's going to start crawling around soon. And I might not even keep up with her if she's crawling, never mind if she's walking or running, right? So I started training. But what is so interesting to me is that some sports, and this is one of them, will just push you so far beyond what you ever thought was possible. So far what you thought was possible with your own fitness level, so far past what you thought was, was possible with, with, with gymnastics and weightlifting, whatever you can think of. And that is what we're talking about. It's a kind of sport where it's like you go big or you go home. And what is sad to me is that often in life, we go big after a lot of things. We push hard after our our jobs and, and, and the promotions we want to see. We push hard after a healthy family life. We push hard after giving our children the best. But sadly, when it comes to our faith, we do not always go big in that. And and we spoke about it last week. We should have higher expectations. And maybe you're still struggling because you never really had a good example in faith. Maybe you are not going big in your faith because you've just accepted where you are as the normal. But I wanted to share a story this this morning that's going to lead up to what we're going to talk about today. And that is Prodeo. As we are here today, this is not where our story started. Our story started um, in Johannesburg, where we were leading a fast-growing church. It was great. We loved the church. We loved the community. And in that time, God called us to go so much bigger than we ever thought possible, to leave all security behind, to move to a city that we don't had any family or friends in, and to start a church. And we did that. And we moved to the city center of Cape Town. And city center is a little different than the suburb, um, but we, we adjusted to life there, and we started a church there, and we launched there in 2017 in February. And it was really good. It was, it was fast growing for the city center, but it was still a small church compared to what we used to maybe in suburbs and places like that. So we were about 60 people. It was great. We had an awesome community. We loved each other. We worshiped God. It was awesome. But after about a year and a half, we knew that there were certain issues that we had to overcome in order for this church to go where, where we had to go. And one of that is we needed to get to a new venue. We met in a venue where, where drug addicts would literally sit outside the gates in the evenings. We could only use them in the evenings and shoot heroin. And parents would walk in with their kids and they're like, we don't think we should come back. So like, okay, we have to get a different venue if we want to keep this going. And we just couldn't. We spent months trying to find something else and it just didn't work. And every time when you get turned down, everyone when someone says, we don't allow churches, it's like someone pours cold water over your head. And you're like, God, but we, we took a huge step in faith and like, what's going on now? And then we started processing further and we're like, because we're inner city and we didn't have a lot of wealthy people in our church, our finances weren't looking that great. So then for the first time in my life, I had to start processing like, what's going to happen at the end of this year when I won't have a salary? That was last year. And I won't be able to put food on the table. I won't be able to have a medical aid. And now I don't only have a wife to care for, I've got a newborn daughter as well. So for the first time in my life, I had to go through a bunch of stuff that I never had to go through before. I had to process a bunch of things that that put me in a position where no matter what I tried, no matter how hard I worked, no matter how many people we found, we just couldn't make it work. And I'm sure you've been in a place like that before as well. And that might be in your marriage, where your marriage is not going great. That might be in your family life, where there's really broken relationships between you and a brother, or you and a father, or you and your children. 
It might be in your finances where you are where I was about a year ago and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to put food on my table. It might be in your business and you just don't know how to move it forward and you've given everything, but still your profit is going down. Still you're running in the red. And you're like, I've given everything. I've tried everything. But still, nothing is working. No matter what I do, it's not working out. And today we're going to talk about pushing, not for something we don't have, but going big with what I already have. And saying like, what has God given me and what can God use in my life to change a situation that I couldn't change on my own? So we are in, in, in this five weeks that we're busy with this series, we're talking about the life of a man named Elisha. And Elisha was a guy that was a farmer. He used to push a plow. And then a very famous prophet in Israel, a man of God, as he was called in the Bible, called Elisha and he's like, you need to follow me because God said, you're, you're the next guy up. So Elisha starts following after Elijah. Last week we read how Elijah kind of handed over to Elisha. But here's the interesting thing that I want to tell you today. When we talk about go big, Elisha went big. Elisha went big not because he lived in the shadow of Elijah, but because he lived out of the power of God. You see, Elisha could have said, like, give me respect because I am the student of Elijah. And he could have looked at all these things he did. And he could have, he, the, if, if he just looked at what Elijah did, but he didn't live out of the power of God, all the miracles that we're going to be reading about for the next four weeks would have never happened. So he went big, not because he was living in someone else's shadow, not because he was trying to be them, but because God has given him gifts and passions, and he said, I'm going to give that to God, I'm going to give him what I have, and I'm going to see where that takes me. So today, if you've got your Bibles here, you can open to 2 Kings 4, 2 Kings 4 verse 1 to 7. So let's do a bit of background here. 2 Kings, we started reading last week about how Elijah handed over to Elisha, I know it's confusing the two names, Elijah, Elisha, in Afrikaans it's just as bad, Elijah, Elisa, I'm like... God has a bit of humor, I think, sometimes. But um, yeah, the two are really close together. So what's happening here is Elisha now has the role of taking over as the man of God, taking over this role of prophet in, in this country. And um, he had his first miracle that we read about that last week when he, when he rolled up the mantle, he hit the water, the river opened, he walked through. But now he has to step into this new role that God has for him. And he has, has to actually start being a prophet. So we're going to read 2 Kings 4, verse 1 to verse 7. If you have your Bibles here, I'm reading from the New International Version. It's going to be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible... Download the Bible app on your phone. Then you can read any translation you can think of. So 2 Kings 4 verse 1 to 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets. So someone who was part of the group of prophets that kind of journeyed with Elisha. The wife of this man cried out to Elisha. She said, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. So by the way, in Israel law, in in the Jewish law, it was fine if you owed anyone money and you couldn't repay. They were allowed to take your children as slaves and they could keep them for six years. On the seventh year, the law required them to release the slaves. Okay? 
Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. So Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. And then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it on one side. She left him and she shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and she told the man of God and she said, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your son can live on what is left. Because this is such an amazing story, but it is also a sad story. It is a story of a woman that just lost her husband. It is a story of a woman who's facing a situation where the two people that she probably loves most in this world, the two children are going to be taken away from her. And I don't know who's parents here, but if you're a parent, I think you can understand something of that. This last week, I think it was this, yeah, this week, not, not the previous week, it was in the news about six-year-old Amy Lee the Yager that was kidnapped out of her mother's car in front of a school. And, the world, and by the way, that's not the only child that gets kidnapped in South Africa or the world. It happens every day. But, but you could feel the pain of these people as they started passing it along on social media and everywhere. And as a father of a 10-month-old baby, I'm processing like, what on earth would I do if someone had to take my child? I, I don't know. I would probably do like a, what's that movie, Taken kind of style or something. Like, I, I'll go crazy, man. My daughter, she's my blue-eyed girl. And this woman is sitting in this position where she's like, I've tried everything I can, but I'm left with the debt of my husband. And now his creditor is going to take my children. And as a woman, she didn't have a lot of rights back in those days. So she's like, my hands are tied. I can't do anything about the situation. I've tried what I, I could do, and there's no way out of this for me. She was stuck in a huge problem. And I want to start out with this today. Last week, I said, trust God for big things. Trust God and ask Him for more in your life. But we have to clarify this. Does it mean if I'm a follower of Jesus, does it mean if I'm a Christian, that no bad things will ever happen to me? Does it mean that I will always have plentiful, that I will never have an issue with money, that everything in my life will be fine? No, it is not. That is a false gospel called the prosperity gospel that tells you that you will have everything if you just follow Jesus. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, they hated me, they will hate you. They persecuted me, they will persecute you. But Jesus also said, I came to give you a life of abundance. So the Bible says that God wants to bless us. God wants to take care of us. But we live in a broken world because of sin, because of the brokenness of humanity. The one thing you can be sure of in this life is that somewhere in your life, hardship and difficulties will cross your path. This woman wasn't just a nobody who walked up to Elijah. Her man gave his life for God. He was part of this company of prophets. He's like, he served you. He served God. And still all this bad stuff happened to me. Why does bad stuff happen to good people? Like, I don't get it. And I don't know about you, but the moment when stuff like that happens in my life, the fixer inside of me pops up immediately, right? 
Like if something happens, I think it's especially a problem for men. When something in our life goes wrong, when we're facing a hardship or a difficulty, the first thing we want to do is our brain starts processing, doing the math on how I can fix this problem. I'm like, I've got a plan. I'm going to take the creditor out or I'm going to steal money somewhere, but somehow I'm going to solve the situation. That's what we do. We go through all these processes of trying to sort it out ourselves. The problem is somewhere in life you will face a problem that is bigger than what you can handle. And the story I shared at the beginning when we were in town, no matter what we tried, no matter how much effort we put in it, we couldn't solve the issue we were facing. So we were doing God's work. Hardships and difficulties will come. But here is what this woman does right. Okay, and if, her, if, the, if the roles were reversed, if this was the husband coming to Elijah, he might not even have come to Elijah, Elisha. But because it's the wife, she does something right. She doesn't try to fix it in her own power. She goes to Elisha and she says, like, I need God to intervene. I need help. I need you to somehow help me with this. And Elijah immediately, he looks at her and he says, how can I help? Do you know what's so amazing to me? It's like whatever we might be going through in our marriages, with our finances, with our children, whatever we're going through in this country, with all this brokenness that we read about, um, all the bros days this week about violence against women, all of this brokenness. God is looking at us and he's not just sitting in heaven and kind of like ignoring us. He's aware of what we need and he's like, how can I help you? And he's waiting for us to reach out to him. So Elijah Elijah asked, how can I help? And I think if, if, if I was in a situation, like, I would have said, like, dude, seriously, I just told you, there's a creditor, I owe money, he's going to take my children, so give me money. Come on, you're the great man of God, give me money. But what is interesting, as we read, is that he doesn't bring her money. Because although she needed something, God was aware of what she needed, and he gave her exactly what she needed, but what God knew she needed wasn't the same as what she thought she needed. It was different. So immediately, Elisha, instead of just leaving it there and saying, how can I help you? Elisha follows up with this question, what do you have? Say that someone next to you. What do you have? What do you have? Guys, if Elisha told me, what do you have? I would have gone like red in the face. Because I would have been, the problem is not what I have. The problem is what I do not have, right? I just told you I don't have money. They're coming to take my children. If I had something, I would have told you that I had something. So she gives him the plain, simple answer. And and I don't know if the writer didn't write that fight bit in, or maybe she was just like keeping it in. She's like, I'm talking to the man of God. I'm going to keep it short. This is all I can get out. Nothing. Nothing. I've got nothing. Guys, and I think so often when we look at issues in our life, our first response is, I've got nothing. When we were at at that place at the end of last year, and and I don't know what's, what's next, I started feeling like I have nothing. We start to to think that's when people get to a place where they think like maybe it is better if I'm not here anymore and my family goes on without me because I've got nothing more to give. That is when people start thinking, I'm just going to give up. You know what? I'm not even going to go back to work because I've got nothing left to give or I'm going to walk out of this marriage because I've got nothing left to give. She says, I've got nothing and we do the same thing. But the interesting thing is, it's not that we have nothing. We all have a lot going in our lives. 
The problem is that the world kind of manipulates us in this way, and we call it, I call it the three C spiral. The first one is called consumerism, and that is what the whole marketing industry is built on. And I myself was a marketer for a while. I love it. I love marketing. I think it's so great. But the whole thing that marketing is built on is on consumerism, and consumerism leads to comparison. Think about this for a moment. If you feel your car is a little rundown, what do you go? You go to the store, you buy a car magazine, you open it, and you see all the pretty cars that you do not have. You buy a magazine about healthy living, and you open, and you look at all the ladies and all the men who's got bodies that you do not have. You you page through the gardening magazine, and you see all the gardens that you do not have. So consumerism is driven by this thing where we feel like we don't have enough. And if I have everything, it will fill me with joy. That's what we believe. If everything in our country is fine, if we didn't have poverty, if we didn't have a corrupt government, if all of these things were fine, then we would be happy. That's what we believe. But it's not true. Comparison leads to the second C. And or, or, or consumerism leads to the second C, that's comparison, where I start looking at the people that I see in these magazines, that I see on TV ads, that I see on social media. And by the way, no one posts the bad stuff on social media. They always post the good stuff. You get a couple of crazies that's like, oh, it's such a bad day, and they want the response like, what was wrong with you? But most people will post the beautiful vacations they had, the new car they got. They don't post the old car that they're working on and the spanner that broke, okay? They post the good stuff. But we start comparing ourselves Always upwards. You know we would do that? We never compare ourselves downwards. We never look at people who's got less than us and we're like, oh, I've got so much. I'm so blessed. We always compare upwards. We're like, oh, I don't have enough. There's so many people who's got more than me. I'm so poor. We always do that. And then comparison leads to no contentment. That's our third C, contentment. But not contentment, no contentment. Or discontentment. Contentment means to really be satisfied, to feel like what I have in my life is enough. And then we get to this place of no contentment where I'm like, I don't have enough. I don't have joy. I'm not satisfied with what I have. Everything that I have is nothing. That's where we end up. Like this lady, we say we've got nothing. But do you know what? She didn't have nothing. She did have something. And no matter what you feel like today, if you feel like your marriage has nothing left, if you feel like your finances has nothing left, if you feel like your your work has nothing left, your company has no future left, your church doesn't have a future left, no matter what you think, like there's nothing left, there's always something left because even when she thought there was nothing left, there was something left. See, big things come in small packages. Someone, can you bring me my olive oil, please? I don't think hers came in a bottle like this, but it was in a little jar. This one's not even full. She said, I have nothing, but I do have a little bit of olive oil. I can't even cook with this because olive oil on its own in a pan doesn't taste very good, right? You need something to fry in it. It's like, this is all I've got left. You see, God has given you and me God has given her everything she needed to do everything God wanted her to do. I'm going to say that again. God has given you everything you need in order to do everything that God wants you to do. God has given you everything you need in order to do everything that God wants you to do. 
The little bit of faith that you have, you're here this morning, you're like, but I don't even believe. The fact that you're here means there's a little bit of faith, a little bit of, of glimmer, that little bit of, of faith, a little bit of oil left. That is enough for God to do something with it. That little bit of hope that you have left in your marriage, although you think there's no hope left, that is enough for God to use it. The little bit of money you have left, the little bit of whatever you have left in your life is enough for God to do a miracle with it. So, so Elijah, Elijah tells her, go get containers. Stop along, will you bring all my containers along, right? Please. He's like, go get some containers from your neighbors. And then he adds these words. He's like, not a few. So I was playing this off in my mind. So um, I'm thinking about this, like all the different neighbors she might have gone to, to try to get containers. So the first is a neighbor that's like my mom. She always keeps all the ice cream containers. Whose moms are like that? Every container, nothing goes to waste. Like she's got 600 bottles in the pantry, 55 ice cream tubs. So she's like, can I borrow some containers? She's like, yeah, sure. I've got 50 you know, ice cream tubs. They are there. What do you want to use them for? She's like, well, I'm not exactly sure. But the man of God told me get containers and get a lot. She's like, don't you have more? She's like, you've got 50 ice cream containers. She's like, I need more. She's like, all I have is my watering can. She's like, bring that. Bring the watering can. I'm taking that as well. So she goes to the next neighbor. That neighbor came from Cape Town. So she's like, I, I only have a day zero bucket. She's like, I'll take the day zero bucket. There's going to be a lot of oil in that thing. And she goes around and then you get the Tupperware tannies. I only have one piece of Tupperware. This is actually for, for lettuce. Um, I actually know what it's for. But you get the Tupperware done. And they are, they are true to the brand, man. They stick to the Tupperware. She got some Tupperware. Then you've got the new breed of people, the Systema ones. And, and she got some Systema. And she got the, the bottles. And she's got, she's got everything. So, so she responds to this invitation. She's like, I don't have much. And he's like, go get containers. She goes out. And she goes and gets containers. Let me tell you today, I think one of the problems in our life is when we believe we have nothing and God calls us to do something or God makes a promise, we limit God. Because like, go get containers. It's like, why do I need containers? I've got this. I've got a little bit of olive oil. I I don't need containers. I, I need money. But you see, we limit God. So, so what I would have maybe done is gone to the first person and asked them for just a little bottle so that I, at least maybe I can split the olive oil in two, right? We limit God. We believe that there's no hope for our marriage. We believe that there's no hope for a relationship. We believe there's no hope for my faith. And in the process, we limit God. So instead of gathering our containers, instead of setting ourselves up and being ready for the miracle that God wants to do in our lives, we limit God by our response. You see, God doesn't speak to be heard. God speaks to be obeyed. And when God spoke and he said through Elijah, go and get a lot of containers, he meant go and get a lot of containers. Don't get one or two. When God says that there's hope left, when God says that you have a future, when God says that he came for a life of abundance, he meant that. Then limit him by gathering one or two containers, by believing that his promises is not for you. By listening and hearing, and it's kind of like going around in your head and out the other ear. God speaks not to be heard, but to be obeyed. I believe we don't see the miracles God does in our life because we don't obey. We don't have high expectations and we don't obey. 
And we moved to Cape Town. We left a lot of security behind. It was a big move for us. But I know when I obey God, there's a miracle waiting for me on the other side. She trusted. She collected all her containers. And she closed the door. I want to tell you, big miracles require big faith. Big miracles require big faith. And if you're here and you're like, you just said my little faith is enough. I'm like, yes, it is. Do you know why? I've got a packet of mustard seeds here. And now you probably know what, I, what I'm going to talk about if you grew up in church. Jesus said this. He said, if you have the faith, the size of a mustard seed, you can tell a mountain to pick itself up and throw it in the ocean and it will. You know how big a mustard seed is? This is it. Like, no, you're holding nothing. No, I'm actually holding a mustard seed. There it is, the yellow mustard seed. When I keep it between my two fingers, you cannot even see it. It disappears. It's that small. Guys, and that blows my mind when Jesus is like, you don't need a lot of faith. That's why the big is in brackets. You don't need to be a super Christian. You just need that little bit of faith to respond to what God is calling you to. And you can tell the mountain, pick yourself up and the mountain would do that. In another place, Jesus said, you can tell the trees and they would get themselves out of the ground and walk into the ocean. When last did you drive like on the N2 and you saw some trees coming past? You're like, where are you going? They're like, no, we're just going to the ocean because some Christian told us to go. Like, you don't see that, right? But we joke about it. We think it's like something Jesus said. It's a promise Jesus made. It is something that happened in this woman's life. Because she took her olive oil and she took her first container. And I think she started with the small one to just make sure what's going on. And she opened it and she started pouring and it filled up. And she asked her sons, the Bible says, bring me the next one. And she filled it up and she filled up the system and she filled up the Tupperware. And, and she, she went... She went to the, to the ugly, the, the gardening, the watering can, and she went to the day zero thing, and she kept filling up, and finally, and guess what? The oil doesn't stop pouring, and I think by then she's like, listen, what's going on with this little little pot of mine? Like, it just keeps going. I think it was, have you ever seen those YouTube videos where those fancy bartenders would put, like, all those shot glasses, and then they go like, Zzz. I think that's what she was doing with the oil. She's like, pack it out, man. We just, we just continue pouring, because this thing isn't stopping. She kept pouring and it kept filling. Because I believe when God sees our faith, even if it's as small as a mustard seed, God moves. When God sees our faith, He moves. And if you can still believe that God has a plan for you, if you can still believe that God can save your marriage, if you can still believe that God has a beautiful future in mind for you, there is a future because when God sees your faith, He moves. This intense process of producing olive oil. Do you know how intense this process is? If you plant an olive tree in the traditional way, it will take five years before it bears a fruit for the first time. Five years. That's not a harvest, that's his first fruit. It will take seven to eight years before it actually produces a crop. I know I'm a bit of a garden junkie, so I love gardening. That's olives. Now it's on the tree. It hasn't gone through the process to become olive oil. The process to produce olive oil in the world back then would have been so intense, so long for men, for God had just took a word. And the olive oil, they didn't stop pouring. It just continued going. Nothing is impossible for God. 
Don't run off, out of containers in your life. Don't limit God with your own small minds. God is so much bigger than you. And I want to break for a little moment. And if you're a parent here, I want to talk to you. And if you're not a parent, but you're going to be a parent, then you need to listen up as well. I believe we live in a place in the Western world where our church is without power, where our church looks like it's a dead faith because parents didn't take their children into the room with them, close the door and said, let us see the miracles of God. Let us trust Him for the impossible. Let's see how He multiplies the oil. Guys, I want to tell you, every single person in this world, including your children, have to one day make their own decision for Jesus. But if your child doesn't believe because they saw a dead faith in your life, then it's on you. I want... I want Abigail, my 10-month-old daughter, to not even wonder if God is alive. Do not, not even process that. Because she's seen God move so much in her life that there can be no space for doubting it. Don't be the block, not only for your own faith, but for your children's faith. Why didn't God do something earlier? Why didn't God save her? Why didn't God just do something before her husband even died? Because I believe sometimes God doesn't give me what I think I need. Because he wants me to see something I've never seen before. God didn't intervene in her life earlier because God wanted her to see something she's never seen before. And not only her, her boys saw it. And not only did her boys see it, but every single person, this is what's amazing, guys. Every neighbor that borrowed her container saw the miracle of God. I don't know how she sold it with their container. She probably had to give them a bit of a cutback. But every person saw that. God doesn't always give us what we think we need. Because he wants me to see something I've never seen before. Sometimes he allows the valleys of life because he wants us to just see him and reach out to him. Sometimes he allows the pain because he wants us to see him as a father who cares, who provides a shoulder for us. God knows what we need. Invite him into your valleys. Invite him into your low places. Don't limit him. God was for her and he is for you. And I want to tell you this morning, no matter what dark, difficult, deep place, valley you might be going through, your nothing, the thing that you feel you've got nothing left to give, you can't do nothing about, your nothing could be everything you need in God's hands. Her nothing was everything she ever needed. It was so much that not only she could pay all her debt, Elijah said, now you and your boys can live off this. Your nothing it be everything you need in God's hands. So why don't you make a choice to say, I'm going to surrender what I have to God. God has given you, I believe, no matter who you are this morning, everything you need in order to be everything you want, to do everything he wants you to do. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. 
that we serve a God that loves us so much. Just as that olive oil was poured out to save that family's life, you poured yourself out on a cross to save our lives. You are our answer. You are enough. When I feel I have nothing, I know I've got you. When you feel far from me, I know it's not you who moves. I know it's I who moves. And I just want to thank you that you are always there. That you've got a plan for me. That you know what I need. And I pray, God, that you would realign our eyes. So that we won't be stuck always staring into what we do not have. Staring into discontentment. But that we will start seeing what you have placed in our lives. That we would start seeing what you want to do in our lives. And I want to pray for every valley that might be represented here this morning, Lord. I pray for every person that's sitting here that's going through some kind of difficult, some kind of challenge, some kind of valley in their lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes to what you have given them. The talents, the gifts, the stuff, whatever you've placed in their life. I pray that they would realize they have enough if they surrender it to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.